Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. We will begin by praying at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for creating us and for for when the human race fell that you were deciding to bring your only son to this world, God in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he went to the cross on our behalf, died for our sins, and that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We thank you, Father, that salvation is simple, and that is to believe the good news about your son and his death, burial, and resurrection. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ and the gospel will never perish, but has eternal life. And Father, we thank you also for the completed canon of scripture, your word, and uh, that it's written down and it has been and hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit who indwells the hearts of every believer and is our guide and teacher. We ask today, too, Father, that you protect and look after the church in this country and around the world. And we also pray for our country this morning, Father, that it would be healed and survive and, and go forward in the, the destiny that you have planned for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. I finally think I've figured out why they go through that door and come back around. I think it's COVID, right? Is it COVID? Is that why they're doing that? Anybody know? doesn't matter. Maybe not a distraction. Yeah, it could be too. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Anyway, here we are. Uh, this morning, as, uh, as you know, every month we uh, do feature a missionary organization, and we are featuring Grace Prison Ministries this month. As many of you know, uh, Keithia Starling founded this ministry, and uh, he spent some time in prison, and then the Lord uh, guided him to be developing a ministry that would go back in the prisons, and he's been doing that for quite some time now. And uh, he goes into jails and prisons, and he uh, evangelizes and teaches God's Word. We do ask that you keep them in prayer and that you give financially to the extent you can. Also want to let you know again this morning, remind you of the fact that we do have a homeless ministry that's run by Bud and Kim Dungan. We would just ask you to pray for them and support them as you can. They are always uh, in need of food and, as you can imagine, finances. Uh, Speaking of food, though, as I reminded you last week, please don't leave them outside. If you're going to bring it, try to bring it on Sunday where there's somebody here to take it. Okay. All right, let's begin this morning. Of course, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you can turn there now. The title from today's message comes from verse chapter 2, verses 7 through 8 through 15, making a claim to godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Timothy 2, 8. Therefore... I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness." A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men, but to remain quiet. 
For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Well, as you could probably figure out, this is a very controversial passage in our day and age. Why? Well, the reason why is that it flies in the face of current cultural norms. I say that because it wasn't always that way. You know, watch Little House on the Prairie and you'll see. Actually, that's not far off from the truth. But in any event, in our day and age, the cultural norms that we face declare that there are absolutely no differences between men and women in any respect. However, that's not God's view of gender at all, as as we've seen in the passage today. So this morning we're going to embark together, hopefully together, on some treacherous waters here in verses 8 to 15. And as we like to do, though, seeing the big picture first will help us navigate through the rest of the passage. I want to remind all of us this morning that at the very beginning of this letter, the stage was set. Paul asked Timothy to remain in Ephesus the capital city of the province of Asia, today western Turkey. He said, remain there for a reason, so that Timothy would command certain false teachers, false teachers, to stop teaching what Paul calls strange doctrines, false teachings. So from the very beginning, the stage is set to understand that the problem is false teaching and it's affecting the entire congregation and beyond. These false teachings were inflicting great damage on the churches back then and today. I mentioned last week about the false teaching of the Lordship's salvation. And right now that is causing great damage on the churches. At this time, we know that in the time that Paul wrote Timothy, we know there were some elements to it. We've already seen that they misrepresented the law. We're going to see today as well that the teaching involved the way in which men and women Uh, participate in the worship service. So those two things, later on in this letter, we'll see other things as well. We'll see, for example, that certain of these teachers were forbidding marriage. I want you to think about that for a minute. Okay, that's actually somewhat relevant to the passage today as well. But the big point is that they had overturned proper order in the assembly. Now, The Lord has designed the assembly and the worship service that it be orderly. Why? So that people can receive and understand and participate. And it's not chaos. It's very difficult to learn the word of God in a chaotic situation. And chaos does not worship God the way that he deserves to be worshipped. He's a God of order and a God of, of, of sensibility and thought. That's why. But they were, these teachers were overturning all of that. Not only that, but they were promoting disruptive behavior in the worship service. Why would they do that? Well, they don't, they, they're tools, of course, of Satan. And the reason is so they could bust up the church. And, Tim, Tim, and Paul knew that. And that's why job one with Timothy was to shut that down. But make no mistake, the teachings that these folks were engaging in were stirring up controversy. Men, as a matter of fact, were exploding in anger and argumentativeness with one another. Women were turning around and they were lording it over the men by teaching during the public services and usurping the authority of the elders and the deacons. As a matter of fact, these false teachers had also convinced some of the ladies to abandon their God-given roles in the home and in the church, the household of God. So first, 
Paul asks Timothy to deal with the men so that they would properly lead the prayer service. Their job, among other things, was to be the leaders in prayer. And they weren't doing that. And so that Paul had to have Timothy deal with that. That's in verse 8. I'm just giving you an overview of our passage today. In verses 9 to 14, then Paul addresses women. And he is addressing their propriety. How, how, is, how they should behave in a dignified manner, orderly manner. All right. Again, during the public worship services. I want to emphasize that. Why? Well, because some people want to take this passage and apply it to everything. No, it's focused on the worship services. All right. So that's verses 9 to 14. Paul turns to the women, all of the women, and dresses what's proper for them during the worship service. And then lastly, in verse 15, he then turns to the married women and addresses their proper role in family life. Okay, so the men in prayer, all women during the worship service, married women in in their family lives. That's the map for today. So let's be on our way. First Timothy chapter one verse chapter two verse eight. First Timothy two eight. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. By the way, the word Greek word for men here is not the same as Paul used to mean the human race. It's a different Greek word. That was anthropos. Okay, today. The word in verse 8 means the male gender. He's talking just to the males in the congregation now. Known as the phrase, in every place. We as Christians are called and have the privilege of being able to pray at all times, at all places. Unlike the, the, the custom among the Jews was that they would go to the temple to pray. But now Jesus Christ has opened that all up. He says the key is to worship in spirit and in truth, no matter where you are. And at that time, lifting of hands while praying was the custom, especially for the Jewish people. And so that's, that's a reference to what was customary. But the key word here is the word holy. It's the word holy. It's the way in which it's the, it is the, the condition, the, the situation that the men have such that they're praying in a holy manner. And you don't have to wonder about what that's talking about, because as usual, the Word of God tells us what he's talking about. The opposite of holy hands, unholy. What does that mean? Praying in an unholy situation. And he says the unholiness that's involved with the men right now is wrath and dissension, anger, anger, arguments. You can't pray properly if you're angry with one another, if you've engaged in arguments and rivalries. That's unholy. Okay, so the key word is holy, and that means an outward gesture should also indicate inward purity. That's the key here. It's, you know, yes, if you want to pray with hands up or raised, you can. But that's not the issue here. The issue is the holy part, right? Are you, have you prepared yourself? Have you dealt with the kinds of things, attitudes, behavior, that could prevent you from praying properly? That's what he's talking to the men about. And very simply, an angry or openly hostile man is in no condition to pray properly. Does that make sense? If they're angry, can you picture a man being angry and starting to pray? Oh, oh Lord. Oh, Lord, I don't want to pray for these people right now. You know, I mean, anger is not the proper disposition internally to pray in. Right? Gratitude, humility, 
right? Love for others. That's the proper thing to be going on inside when you're praying. All right, that had to be dealt with before the men entered into prayer. Let's continue. Verses 9 and 10. Now he turns, pivots from the men to the women. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold, or pearls, or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. That claim to godliness means that they are, they are um, desiring to live according to the Christian manner, consistent with what we all claim to believe, right? So that means that the worship service in particular, the call of the day is modesty, all right? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, just like with the men, your active activity will reflect your inward disposition. That's what he's really concerned about, right? How you dress is a reflection of how you think. That's the key to understanding verses 9 and 10. Very simple. How a woman, or by the way, a man for that matter. This is a principle that goes for both genders. How a woman or a man dresses is a reflection of her thoughts and attitudes. Now, we we don't spend much time on this, but it's really true. If you're you're going into a situation where you want to let people know that that you think this is an important thing, a dignified situation, you know, you wouldn't go there necessarily in torn blue jeans, would you? If you're going to a funeral, are you going to show up in a t-shirt? Not usually. Why? Because the situation demands a certain interior attitude, and that then gets transferred into how we dress. Okay. A lot of people wonder why I dress in a tie. Right? Well, it's a northern thing, I suppose. But it's also my way of showing respect for you and for the Lord. See, that's the interior part that then's reflected in the outside. And that's what he's talking about here. Certainly, yes, he does reflect on some specific things. But it's a matter of what's proper. And by the way, what's proper adornment, not only externally in the body, but internal. The proper adornment of the heart. And that's primary. That's mostly what he's concerned about. And so modesty and discretion in dress reflect a godly woman's inner life. Man, am I getting in trouble today. But it's true. Let me say that again. Modesty and discretion in dress reflect a godly woman's inner life. An inner life of what? Modesty, discretion, respect. Those kind of things then show up in how a woman dresses. Okay. All right. So that's what Paul is really getting at. Now, again, Paul does give examples of what he means. He talks about proper clothing, not braided hair and gold. By the way, those combinations are together. He's not talking about just braided hair, but braided hair with gold in the hair. You can picture that, right? A little bit ostentatious, may I say, right? Pearls. He's not saying you can't wear pearl earrings, right? What he's talking about is making a big display of yourself, right? What's, what's, on the out, what's, what's your motivation for dressing that way? Costly garments, you know, if, if people come in with a, I don't, I don't think women wear these anymore. I guess the animal rights activists have destroyed the idea of a mink coat, right? And I'm not picking on anybody who has one, right? But you can see in a situation, let's just say you go into a situation in a poverty-stricken neighborhood, right? If you were to show up, you know, driving a Mercedes Benz and beeping the horn and stepping out and having this amazing 
you know, appearance that you're like, hey, look at me. Boy, don't you wish you could afford these expensive clothes, you know? That's not the proper inner disposition to be in that neighborhood ministering to those people. So essentially, he is asking the ladies to avoid ostentatious displays. Now, I know, you know, I don't really like using big words all the time. Because that doesn't usually help people understand. It just shows off my vocabulary. However, there are times when a word is so appropriate that I have to use it. But then I'm going to explain a little bit about it. Now, see, what does ostentatious mean? It means a vulgar display. It means trying to impress with the way you dress. Attract attention, admiration, envy. See, if that's in your heart... Now listen, if you're in the business world and you want to make a big impression on a sales call, that's fine. But we're not talking about the business world, right? We're talking about the congregation, the worship service. That's very important to understand so that this doesn't get misapplied. But it's saying that, you know, the way you think about the worship service ought to be different from the way you think when you're at a party or when you're in the business world and you are trying to impress or maybe attract attention, as a matter of fact. That may have its place, but not in the worship service. Why? Because inner beauty is the key, not outer beauty. And inner beauty will manifest itself, by the way, look at the passage in verse 10. Inner beauty doesn't show up in your hairstyle. It doesn't show up in your clothing, but rather what? Good works. That's where your inner beauty really shines. When you act in a manner of love and selfless service to others. He's saying that's really the best adornment of all. Okay. All right. Now verse 11 and 12. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Is it just me, or did the winds just pick up a little bit in that journey we're taking? You know, the seas are getting pretty choppy right about now. But here's the thing. Let's think about Paul and Timothy and what their, what their mission is, right? Their mission is to preserve and protect the church. Their mission is to have it operate properly as the pillar of the truth. Why? Because that will not only build up and pre- preserve the relationships in the church and the function, but to the wider world as well. Remember now that Paul and Timothy are focused also on the wider mission, bringing the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. And while the function of the, of the congregation is not to go there, necessarily, it is to be a solid, strong place, stable, so that it has the ability to help support that missionary activity. Very simply, if we're all under deception of false teaching, if we're all at each other's throats, if there's disorder between the men and the women, right, we're in no condition to be able to fulfill our role. Okay, that's really what he's concerned about. And even within that, he's mostly concerned with the impact of false teaching on the members of the congregation. Never forget that. All right, because sometimes people want to say this is an arbitrary, you know, diktat. Of the, of, the, of the apostle saying, you know, you women, I don't like the way you dress. You know, you women, I just don't want you teaching. It wasn't arbitrary at all. It had to do with the way to protect the orderliness and the behavior towards one another in the, in the congregation. 
A woman must quietly receive instruction. Not everywhere, although that is the respectful thing to do, you know. One of the things that is really um, a privilege is to teach in an environment where people are doing this. By the way, the men as well as the women. I don't see men in our congregation, you know, arguing amongst themselves or saying, ah, that's not true, those kind of things. All right, you may have your viewpoints, but here together we don't do that. So it's great to have people just listen, right? And that's the best way to teach and to learn, not just in the congregation, but anywhere. All right, that's why when I was in, when I was in college and people would sit there, they were half asleep, they were talking to each other. It was very distracting, from learning. Okay, so that's a practical side of this. But it, it, above all else, remember that the, that the issue for the leaders, the captain of the ship, is above all else to ensure the safety of the passenger. Remember again the danger that the false teachers were posing to this congregation. In other words, Paul here writes about the proper roles of men and women in the worship service. Focus on the roles just like in a ship, not everybody can be the captain. Not, not everybody has, the, has the, the focus and responsibility for the sails. And the, everyone's got their own job. That's when a ship functions well. That's true of any organization. There has to be a clear understanding of who does what. Now, in the case of the worship service and the congregation, we don't get to set those proper roles. Guess who does? God does. Right? So, we, so at the end of the day, you know, don't get mad at me or Paul today. Instead, realize, you know what? This is God's design. And I am gonna, I'm going to follow that. Because God, who knows more than I do about me and about how congregations ought to work, has set it up that way. So Paul is now communicating proper roles for men and women in the worship service. I want to emphasize that. Why? In order to protect the church. In order to preserve the church, in order to deliver the church, rescue the church, from what? We're going to see later on that he's going to talk about being saved or preserved. And you always should ask the question, from what? And the answer here is against the efforts of Satan to destroy the church. That's what. That's what he's protecting us from in setting up these roles. It's setting up the fact that men should not have anger in their hearts when they pray and so forth. And so that the church would be protected. Now, when I say the efforts of Satan, I don't mean that he's showing up at our congregation today. Is he not? All right? He's a creature. All right? He can't, he's not like God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent or any of that stuff. But he has agents that are doing the work for him. By the way, he's got an agent in our body. It's called the flesh. Sin in the flesh. That's an agent of Satan. We don't think of it that way. But guess who he's focused on here as the agents of Satan? False teachers. Now, not false teachers out in the world, but in the church. i got to emphasize that every time, because you know what? He's going to talk about deception in a little bit. And yes, he's going to talk about it in terms of the two genders. However, be sure you understand that what he's talking about is the being deceived by the false teaching. He's not necessarily talking about you're deceived in everything. He's going to talk about the women, yes. Let me tell you what, women sometimes have a lot more discernment than men in certain areas. It just happens to be that false teaching isn't one of them. But they are a good judge of character quite often. And they have a lot of discernment about a lot of things that the men kind of don't even pay any attention to. So I'm not talking about in general. 
talking about the focus here, which is on combating the false teaching and making sure that the people, especially the women in the congregation, don't fall prey to those temptations. Not of sin of itself, but of the te- of false teaching, which, by the way, is worse than sin. All right? It's worse than sin. Why? Because of the destructive effect it has, not only among each other, but also in your very relationship with God. The way that you see God is the first thing that matters. Right? Understanding that who God is and not listening to the lies about God. You know? The legalism about God and different things like that. You see, that's first and foremost what we need to be concentrating on. All right. So that's why. Now, again, before we get carried away here, again, let's also talk about what Paul is and is not saying. The first thing to remember, again, I'm keeping emphasizing this, is the setting is the worship service. When he says women must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, he's talking about in the worship service. When he says, I do not allow a woman to teach, he's talking about in the worship service. Exercise authority over a man. Well, of course, the men have been granted um, the authority in God's design in the church and in the home. Okay? But it doesn't mean that the woman has to be subject to everything that every man tells her to do. That's just not the case. Okay? Certain men have been placed in authority in certain situa- environments, okay? organizationally, the family, the church. That's important to understand. It's a particular activity, in fact, in that, which is teaching and preaching the word of God. So it's, I want you to understand that it's very specific and really, in a way, kind of narrow what he's dealing with here. He's not dealing with all relationships that women have with anybody. He's not saying that women are, are, are subject to every man, right? He's saying that, and it's this worship service, not everywhere. And he's saying the issue is the teaching of the word of God. How does one have a proper setting and a proper function so that the word of God can be taught and preached accurately, hopefully, and with receptive ears. Okay. How does he do that? Well, there's no way around it in God's word. God has ordained that gifted males will teach in the public setting, in the congregation as a whole. When we gather together as a congregation, as an assembly, to hear the word of God taught, God said, I want certain, not all men, by the way, right? He has chosen certain men to be gifted by his grace in order to have certain gifts that would allow a man to direct, to correctly understand what's in the word of God and to communicate it effectively to the people. It's a gift. Not everybody, we're going to see in chapter three, not every man gets that gift. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty narrow group. It's, it really comes down to pastor teachers with the gift and elders who are able to teach. Not even the deacons. We're going to see that Paul is going to list out the requirements for elders and deacons in chapter 3. Well, it turns out that teaching is not one of the gifts, not one of the responsibilities of the deacons. So while he's focused on the women here, the same principle applies for men who are not called into the teaching ministry, as it were. So gifted men will teach in the congregation. Now, and I'll probably put it this way, gifted females, which is all of you, will learn. That's the way it's designed to be. All right, so now, what is Paul not saying? Again, he's not saying that women have to be subjected to men 
at all times and in all places and all men. Right? It's not saying that at all. It's saying that in, in, in the worship service, in the congregation, yes. Right? The men are the elders and the um, pastors in teaching now. And we'll see them in the home as well. The order of the home has been set up so that the husband, the father, is the one that has the authority and the responsibility, by the way. Those go together. Not that it always works out that way. We're talking about design. We're talking about God's design for the church and for the family, regardless of the cultural norms and standards of the day. We tend to think that we're the only ones who have ever faced, as a church, a hostile world towards the way that God wants us to think. But that's just not true. There's always been that. Look, Paul wouldn't have had to deal with it in Ephesus in the first century, but for the fact that there were cultural pressures that were causing the men to get angry and the women to not want to be sitting quietly and listening when the Word of God was taught. It's not just now. okay? There there were forces at work in the first century, and I'm not going to go into all of them because that's really not, it's tangential to to our subject. But... And every, every generation, it has to be said again what God's thinking is when it comes to men and women. And very simply, when it talks about the congregation and the teaching, it's gifted men who do the teaching when the congregation is publicly assembled. And at that time, women are to stay quiet during these times of instruction. And I, I want to add that men who are not teaching should also stay quiet. And even the little kids, right, which is the hardest group of all. And look how well behaved all the children are today. See, they've been, why? Well, you know why? It's because their parents have taken the time to set the parameters, right? There's a time for running around like crazy, and there's a time for doing what you're doing right now. To be quiet and respectful as somebody else is teaching, Okay. By the way, elders and deacons are in positions of authority in the local church, right? mostly for the organization of the church. Somebody has to make the tough decisions. Somebody has to make sure things are orderly. Somebody has to make sure that, that, the, that when we have the Lord's Supper, it's all set up and that there are ushers who are going to be assigned to doing that work. Somebody has to make sure that the building is in good shape, that the technology is working. Now, those don't all have to be men. But in terms of the overall supervision of those activities, God, not me, not even Paul, has set it up so that men would take charge of those things. All right. So what does that mean? Well, it means that just like in the teaching, women shouldn't try to take over the reins of the church. That's a real problem as well when that happens. Again, not because men are better than women, because that's not the way God has designed it. And quite frankly, that's not the way God has gifted us. Not necessarily naturally. Remember, certainly you can look at some natural features of men and women and understand how they play into it. You know, men bigger than women. But I'm just illustrating, right? Men have their deeper voices, usually. Not always. All right, so you can talk about some natural things, but that's not at all what we're talking about, really. We're talking about how God has gifted and set things up. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Why? Because an orderly church protects everybody. An orderly church nourishes everybody. Can you imagine if the dinner table was in chaos? Actually, some of us can can imagine that because we've been in those situations quite a bit. 
But isn't it nice when you get together for, a, for and everything's been set up, you know, all the food has been set up. Somebody else figured out all the cooking and everything, right? They, everybody's seated in a proper place, right? And then it's all, it all comes out in an orderly fashion, and you can just relax and enjoy it. Can you imagine the chaos if everybody had to go in the kitchen and cook their own meal and had to fight for a seed and had to, right? That's not so much fun. Well, not for adults anyway. All right, so that's why. You see, proper conduct. And I should add, by both the men and the women, right? The men aren't off the hook at all, although he spends a few more verses here dealing with the women. He's going to deal with the men in chapter 3 in a big way, all right? As a matter of fact, mostly what he's doing in, the, in 1 Timothy is, is dealing with the men so that they don't promote the false teaching and that they also are submissive to the apostles and, the, and, and Timothy. But here he is focusing on the women. So that proper conduct of women as well as men ensures that the church will remain what it is supposed to be, as Paul will say in chapter 3, the pillar and support of the truth. Ultimately, it's not about us. It's about who we are as a body, the pillar and support of the truth. Give that up and you don't have a church anymore. Give that up and you have no use in the missionary activity. Regardless of how busy you are or how much money is being spent, if it's not centered on the truth of God's word, it's worthless. Okay. Paul is saying, therefore, that a woman may not assume the office of teacher in the church. And yes, that does preclude a woman from being a pastor or an elder. Now, I know what many of you are probably thinking right now. You know of example. I hear this every time. Well, but I know of a teacher, a woman who's a great teacher, or this and that. Well, here's the problem, though. It's, again, it's not talking about natural giftedness. Remember the context. It's talking about not falling for the deception of false teaching. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to make more enemies than I already have, but my observation has been that very often in congregations, it's the ladies who are more susceptible to the false teaching than even the men are. Not that we're not, because we are too. If we weren't, there wouldn't be any false teaching now, would there? Right? If men who are in the position of teacher never fell for any false teaching or lies, right? then there wouldn't be any. So I'm not talking about that. But I am saying that, that the women tend to be more easily deceived. We're going to see what that, how that started in just a minute. But the fact that they don't have the role of pastor or elder, it does not follow that women have no role in the ministry. See, that's going too far. As a matter of fact, the word of God says the absolute opposite. Mature women are entrusted with teaching younger women. That's in Titus chapter 2. Not only that, but Paul himself, he counted, counted women among his partners in the cause of the gospel. Partners, that's the word he used. Now, not in his role as apostle or preacher, but they obviously had a really important role because he would name them in, in different places. In Romans 16, he would talk about um, uh, different women, Mary, and he would talk about, in Philippians chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche and so forth. So he mentioned women in particular that were there, there to support the furtherance of the gospel. You know, in some cases, it was women's homes that were opened up. In other cases, we know that women provided financial support. By the way, that very truth tells you, as we're going to see later, that we're not talking about confinement. 
for the women. We're not talking about, when we talk about, we're going to talk in a little while about the fact that married women should have the, the centerpiece of their life revolve around the family. But that is centered, but you know, something can be centered and then actually spread out from there. And so women, it doesn't mean women cannot have any role beyond keeping house and taking care of the kids. But it does mean that that's the center for married women now that have children. Not every married person does, okay? But, it do, but women can take on financial responsibility, take on a job, take on roles in the community. We see examples of that in the New Testament. When Jesus was, was ministering in, in Israel, he would have women that provided the financial support for the ministry. So we know it's not, you have to stay home, you can't work, as is misinterpreted today by some legalistic churches. It's not what the Bible says. All right, let's go on. Because verses 13 and 14 are now going to give two reasons. Why? I mean, that's a, that is a natural question to ask. If, if really the thought of God is that women should not be pastors, should not teach men, should not have authority in the congregation, the question is why? And, and in verses 13 and 14, Paul tells us why. He gives us two reasons why it is that women are not permitted to teach men. And that is, let's read the passage, verses 13 to 14. For, in other words, here's an explanation. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by the serpent, but the woman being quite deceived by the way the Greek says completely hoodwinked, if I could put it that way, that fell into transgression. In other words, verse 13 argues from the original creation of man and woman. He's saying when man and woman were first created, there was a difference. The man was created for, not that the order of creation is what he's talking about, because if that were true, then the animals would be in charge of the men, because they were created before. It's not order here, but it, it is rank, okay? He, he argues from that as to saying, why is it that God has set things up in the congregation such that men would be the teachers and the leaders, and women would not be? He argues from the original creation in verse 13, it was Adam who was first created and then Eve and he goes on in verse 14, and he argues from the fall of the human race. Now, we know in the book of Genesis, those things happen pretty much closely. They, the fall came pretty close to the creation, unfortunately. Genesis chapter 2 talks about the creation of man and woman. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall of man and woman. And what Paul's saying here is, for both those reasons... God has set it up so that men should be the teachers and in positions of authorities rather than women. Notice in verse 13, Paul says, The Lord created Adam first. What's, what's important about that to understand is that he formed Eve from the rib of Adam. And why did he do that? Why did he create the man first, as he did, from the dust of the ground? And then after that, he then created the woman from the rib of the man. Well, if you know the story in Genesis, and you can read it, I encourage you to read Genesis 2 and 3, although we will not be going there in the interest of time right now. The reason is, is because he wanted to give a helpmate to the man. See that? That's what he's talking about here. He's saying the very reason I created woman is so that man would have a helpmate. If, by the way, at this point in the service, if there are any radical feminists... 
I would advise you to leave. <laughs> not really. Not really. But that you see the point is that this goes contrary in every respect to the culture that we have today. And I understand that. But that's why I'm taking pains to explain why. And Paul did too. Okay. Now, notice in verse 13, he created Adam first. And the woman was created to be the helpmate of the husband. I do want you to see this now. If you would, please hold your place in, in 1 Timothy 2. But please go to 1 Corinthians. Back up a little bit. The 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 8. This is where Paul explains in a little more detail what the issue is in creation when it comes to do with the order of authority. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 11, 8. For man does not originate from woman. See, God didn't do it that way. He didn't create woman first and then say, ah, the woman needs a helpmate. I'll give him a man. No, he did it the other way around. Man doesn't originate from woman, but woman from man. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing at all any of us can do about the creation of the human race. That happened thousands of years ago. And God, God did it. He set it up. And he said, this is, the, this is the starting point for why I've set things up in the church and in the family the way they are. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake. It was not. But, but alternatively, the woman was created for the man's sake. Now, I didn't write that. Okay, The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write that. He's communicating something really important. As much as it goes against the grain. And by the way, if I, when I taught this a few years ago, it was rough enough because of what was going on already with feminism and so forth. Now, I don't want to get into much detail because the children are here, but the idea of gender has even gotten more crazy by the hour, it seems. But God has not changed. The creation of man and woman is a fact from way back at the beginning of human history. Okay, and as we're going to see, what happened in the fall is also something that only can be reversed by Christ and his death on the cross. But the gender roles also come from that. Man does not originate from the woman, but woman from man. Indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. It means in the family, when men and women are married, it is the, it is the husband who is the glory of God. In other words, he's to go out... And he is to um, have his responsibilities in the church and the world and so forth and be the protector and, and supporter and provider for the woman in the family. God set it up that way. Same thing in the church. The woman is to be the helpmate for the man in the church. Okay, God set it up that way. All right. Then he goes on. Notice, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Timothy 2, 14. Again, the man takes the leadership. The woman is the helpmate. Yes, I'm a man. Obvious, got the beard, though it's white now. So clearly, yeah, I know people can react. Women can react against that and say, well, yeah, that's what men think and so forth. No, 
It's what God has set up, and there's a good reason for it. I'm going to keep repeating this. The whole idea is protection and, and good function. And God set it up that way. I have no idea why. Just like if you think about it, God could have decided, for any woman here, he could have decided to instead put you in a man's body, a baby, male's body, right? He could have. That was his choice, right? He has set these things up independent of anything about the person, but rather the role and the function of the genders as God has designed it. 1 Timothy 2.14. It was not Adam who was deceived. Okay, It was Adam created first, woman as helpmate. Now we go to the fall. It wasn't Adam who was deceived. You know the story. Adam and the woman were created perfect. The woman helpmate for the man. The man received the teaching from the Lord not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. Man received that. It's his responsibility to protect the woman in that area. Okay? That didn't happen. It's ultimately the man's fault, by the way. If you read in other places, it's Adam's fault that created sin in the world. Okay? Not the woman. But here he's talking about, just talking about teaching. You know the story. The serpent could have gone after either gender, right? Why didn't he go after the man? Well, the answer is because the man wouldn't have been deceived. Okay? God had given the teaching to the man. The man armed with that teaching, okay, as well as what God has given as a gift to the men. And that, now, and that, when you think about it, in the garden, Adam was what? Husband, pastor, teacher, all of that in one man. Okay? And God had gifted him accordingly. So Satan says, I'm not going after the man. I can't do that. I'm going to lose. I'm going to go after the woman. I'll be able to deceive her, especially when she's not under the protection of her husband. All right. That's what he did. The serpent, the woman, it was not Adam who was deceived. The woman being completely hoodwinked fell into transgression. The serpent, Satan, deceived the woman into eating the forbidden fruit by lying to her, by the way. You certainly shall not die, right? And other lies as well, okay? But let me mention something, too, that before that, the woman, all right, who had been separated from the guidance and the teaching of the husband at this point, by herself started looking at the fruit of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, and saying to herself, man, that looks good. That looks good for food. I want that, you know. I will make me wise and stuff. So there was something about what was going on in the woman's soul that that preceded the serpent coming on the scene to tempt her. Okay. But in any event, the woman took the fruit and ate it. And then the man took the fruit from the woman. And he ate it too. So this isn't putting men on a pedestal at all. As a matter of fact, what the man done was worse. Why? Because he had the teaching. And it was his job to make sure that, that nobody, himself and the woman, would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He failed. Adam's fault. But that's not what Paul's getting at in our passage today. Rather, again, he is dealing with which gender is suited for teaching. And very simply, Adam was not deceived. The woman was. And let me just say this. When it comes to teaching and the deceptions of false teaching... Any tendency to be deceived in that area, okay, and we've already seen that tendency in the fall, is fatal to guarding the truth and sniffing out lies. See, that's what the men are gifted with. 
Right? And again, it's, it's primarily the men with the gift of leadership and teaching. Okay? They've, been, they've been designed, they've been gifted to be able to guard the truth and sniff out the lies. Right? That's, a, that's equally important, as you know. I've been, I've been hammering on the idea of the false teaching of lordship salvation. Why? Because it's a lie. Okay? And because I've been gifted in a certain way, and I take my, my calling hopefully seriously, okay, I can step back, not get emotional. As you know, I've got friends that are on the wrong side of that teaching right now. I could very easily get emotional and, you know, and think, oh, they're my friends. I'm not going to say anything about it. But for whatever reason, um, as a man and as gifted to teach, you know, I can just put that aside and be able to just look at the issue, right? The issue is that's false. That's against God's word. I've been gifted to understand what the word of God has to say. I'm going to call it for what it is. And I'm also going to teach the truth. Okay. Not just me. Okay. By the way, Steve, right? He's a teacher. He's great at discerning these kind of things, for example. All right. So it's not just me. It's, it's anybody who's gifted. And where do you look, though? You give to those who have been gifted as the pastor, teacher, and the elders. That is just the way God set it up. And we don't always do the job right. We, we fail. Okay? If you're looking for a place that has the perfect pastor or the perfect elders, I'm sorry to have to break it to you. But that's not here. I also know it's not anywhere. Okay? So, which is why, by the way, I prayed this morning. What's one, of the, what's one of the most amazing things about God's word? It's all written down. And it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So anybody can check out the teaching. That's important to understand too. That's, everybody has a function to do that. All right. Now, finally, we arrive at verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. But women will be preserved, King James says saved, through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Again, women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So what's happening? Well, Paul is now pivoting from all women in the church, right, to married women in the home. Why do I say that? Because in God's design, although I know this is violated today, it's married women who give birth to children. By the way, did you know something in the Word of God? You know, getting married is not being before the pastor or the priest, not having a big wedding. You know what the two criteria are? The first one is that the father gives the woman away. The father, as it were, blesses the marriage. And the second one is that the man and woman consummate the marriage. That's it. So people are running around thinking, I'm not married. Well, if you're having sex... And if, and if daddy is okay with you living with, with that guy, you're married, according to God. All right? So it's the married women who have the children. All right? That's why it's married women that are in focus here. Now, the fact is that this verse is very challenging to even interpret. Never mind to stomach for some women, but to even interpret it properly, it's not easy. Okay? To do it right takes a, a, long, a lot of work. Okay? The Greek word here for preserved, okay, and again, it's saved, translated in the King James, is, is a Greek word, sozo. 
Paul uses this word primarily to mean saved from our sins. Saved in the terms of eternal salvation. But that can't be how it's used here in 1 Timothy 2.15. Why? Well, really simply, if it were, if he was saying women will be saved eternal salvation through the bearing of children, well, guess what? That would eliminate any single woman, any widow from being saved. Anybody who's not had children. By the way, that would eliminate all men from being saved. Furthermore, it would not be by grace through faith, but it would be by works. Believe me, raising children is a lot of work. Well, it can't be by works. So so this is not talking about eternal salvation. The fact is that this word sozo can also mean to be rescued or kept safe from harm or danger. That's what he's saying here. He is saying the women will be kept safe, rescued from harm or danger through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. But what danger? Yeah, okay, I get it. Through the bearing of children, they're kept safe, rescued from harm and danger. What danger? Again, the context is king. Eve fell into what? The danger of false teaching from Satan. Guess what he's talking about in verse 15? Women being protected, rescued, kept safe from the harm of false teaching. That's what's in view here. Okay? This is talking about women being protected by remaining in the place of safety that God has provided for her. Let me say that again. The woman is protected by remaining in the place of safety that God has provided for her. Okay, so this is a, this is a gracious thing that God has provided for women. He has said, here is a place of safety. If you want to be protected, guarded, rescued from the influence that false teaching and the other temptations of Satan can have on your life, I've provided a safe place. And we're going to see there are two different ones. By the way, Eve had a safe place, right? It was under the care of her husband. She didn't stay there. She left his protection, provided by his authority. What happened? She was devoured by the lies of Satan. In other words, verse 15 answers a very simple question. How do women now... Avoid making the same mistake that Eve made. And what's the answer? Well, let's look at the scripture. Women will be rescued, kept safe from the harm and danger of false teaching. How? Through the bearing, right, through the bearing of children. Huh. Huh. Well, you know, the answer there through child i got to admit, that's kind of peculiar. Yeah, on the face of it. You're saying that the act of giving birth is what protects me from the lies of Satan? Well, that can't be either. It can't be that. It's got to be something else. And it is. There's a parallel passage that answers, as usual, the word of God answers its own questions. Please turn now as we close to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. 1 Timothy 5, 14. When he says through childbirth, what does he mean? First Timothy 5.14 Therefore, I want younger widows, women who used to be married, but her husbands have died, 
Well, let's think about that. They were, they were, before that, they were under the protection, the authority of the husband, hopefully, when it came to the attacks of Satan in her mind and her heart. Now he's dead. Okay, what does he say about that? Get married. Younger widows. Get married. Bear children. Keep house. And therefore, what? Give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some who have not done that have already turned aside to follow Satan. There it is. It's all there. What's the issue? What are they to be kept safe from? The reproach from the enemy turning aside to follow Satan. How do they avoid that? They get married, they, keep, they bear children, and they keep house. In other words, when we see bear children, as we just saw in verse 15 of chapter 2, it's a shorthand for meaning what? Getting married, bearing children, and keeping house. Still, I know the waves are pretty choppy right now for the ladies, but that's the deal, okay? Now, why is that? Again, married women are protected from temptation, from the lies of Satan, by living in their God-ordained role in the family and in the home. That's the way God has set it up, okay? Now, you may say, okay, I get that. I think I get that. I think I can get my arms around the idea that women who are married... The word of God already says that they ought to be you know, respectful and subject to, their, to the, the authority, the leadership of their husband. So I can kind of see how then they should live in that role. And that includes, you know, the giving, bearing children, bringing, raising children, and keeping house. I can see that. But wait a minute. Not every woman will be married at any point in time. What about them? Are they still protected? Are they rescued? And the answer is, of course, yes. By the way, some, people, some women have the gift of celibacy. Not every woman has been called by God to be married. In fact, God says in 1 Corinthians 7 that the ones who can remain celibate actually have undistracted devotion to the Lord. So we're not saying you have to be married. Not at all. Same thing with women. It's not their fault that their husband died. So what, so what has God done about that? Well, he's provided two safe houses, as I could put it that way, for women. The family household for those who are married God's household for those who are not married. Those are the two places, the home and the the, the church. That's what God has done. Now, why? Because that is a place where it ought to be, God set it up to be, a stable family life, right? Where a woman understands her role and is subjected to the authority, especially in the area of false teaching, why the husband is supposed to be the leader of the family when it comes to the word of God. Okay, that's for the married women and then God's household, orderly church life, as he's been talking about, for those who are not married. In other words, a married woman is protected by living a life centered around her family and her husband. That's how God has set up her protection, to organize your life around family and your husband. Not confined, I'm going to emphasize this, it doesn't say that you not just center around, but that's all you can do. You have to be in the home 24-7. No, no, no. Not confined, centered around. The focus, not limited by. Okay, that's really important. A lot of people miss that part. That's the married women. Unmarried women, they're to be protected by centering their life on the household of God, the church. That's every bit of challenging I understand in the modern way of thinking. But that's how God has set it up. He said, your protection will be in the household of God. 
Okay, where hopefully, again, the men in authority are looking out for you and are teaching you the truth. Okay, so that's where you go to be your place of protection. And all women are called to a life of devotion to the Lord and good works, as are all men. And that is a life, as Paul ends verse 15, lived in faith, love, holiness, with propriety. Those virtues also protect the women and the men from succumbing to the lies and attacks of Satan. A life lived in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for getting us through this this morning. We ask you now, Father, to also bless our lives in the home and in the church. We also, Father, know that we ought to pray that all men would be saved, all women. Pray for everybody. And we do that now, Father. And we also understand that the manner in which you have set things up for people to be saved from wrath of God is by hearing the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day after he was buried, that by hearing that message and believing, believing the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins, being buried and being raised from the dead on the third day, by simply believing the message, we go from death to life. And we just want to thank you for that too, Father. And we ask, Father, too, that you would watch over your church, especially in these trying days. Please also, Father, watch over, protect, and nurture the families in the United States. That's coming under increasing attack, even from the way it was a few years ago. We would ask, Father, that you would intervene in the hearts of men and women so that they understand the importance of standing firm in their roles in the church and their roles in the household. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, just a couple of reminders as we're closing today. Um, We have Bible study on Thursday evening. That's another protection, by the way. A lot of people think that that is being optional. Please don't think of it that way. Please think of it as an other opportunity to be protected, to be guided, nourished by the Word of God. Thursdays at 6.30, we meet on Skype. If anybody would like to join us who hasn't got a link yet, um, or set up, I don't know, this is technical. That's Mark's domain, okay? Just email him. All right, don't email me. (laughs) Email mark, M-A-R-C, at lbible.org. Also at the end, we have a prayer meeting, so please give us your prayer requests. We'll pray for them on Thursday. We do our best to pray for everything that you've asked us to pray for. And for that, you can go on our website. That's the easiest way on the homepage. There's a thing you can click. We also have a box in the foyer if you'd like to do it that way. Finally, our giving policy. You're probably, some of you may be expecting me to say now, okay, ushers, right? Bring out the basket and pass it around. Guess what? We don't. We don't do that. Why? Because that's pressure, whether you realize it or not. For the same reason, we don't tithe, because that's not biblical anymore. That was a tax for the Old Testament nation of Israel. God has said, no, what I would like you to do is when you have gratitude for what the church is doing, there's, you have the opportunity, the privilege, really, of supporting that. Not only that, but supporting those who are less fortunate, whether it be by means of the church or even on your own. Okay? That's how God has set it up. All right. And so that's what we, that's what we try to honor. 
Um, if you do want to provide donations, you can do that. Either um, we do have a box in the back. We don't pass it around. You can send us a check by mail. Or, again, the easiest thing to do is to go on our website, www.lbible.org. If you have any questions about today's message, men, ask your wives. No, just kidding. No, you can email me um, at pastor at lbible.org. I welcome any questions you have. I don't believe, I refuse to believe that there are no questions at all about today's message. I don't believe that. You may choose not to ask, but that would be a mistake. So if you've got a question, please email me, pastor at lbible.org. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again. We thank you, Father, that we, when we're just straightforward about your word and, and live according to it, things really do work out for the best. So help us to be confident and to remain firm in these things, especially when our boat is being rocked by the world around us. Help us to understand that your way is the only way for us to really live a full Christian life and also to be protective of one another and also be part of the pillar of the church is the truth. And we ask, Father, that that be strengthened in every way. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with that, you're dismissed from service today. We'll pick it up again, remember, on Thursday at 6.30 on Skype.